I felt that I I needed something where I was just going to please myself. And I think that is the real power of solo play is that it's something just for you. And because it's just for you, you know, you make the rules. You know, you decide what system you want to use. You decide how, decide how you want to customize that system or how you want to homebrew it. Nobody can argue with you about the rulings you make or, or the decisions you take around what game you're going to play. And you can also do it in whatever pace you want to do it. You can, you can do it every day or once a week or once a month. You can do it once every six months. It doesn't matter because you're not beholden to anyone else. And I think that's really, you know, the, a key point of why solo play is really important. And it doesn't matter whether you, you've got a regular group or you haven't got a group. I would, rec- I would recommend solo play for everyone because I think it gives them that thing which is theirs. Jay's gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack Oh, oh, oh I want to come back to the dice Oh, 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 oh I think I need some good advice I need a roleplay rescue Oh, yeah I need a roleplay rescue. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hello rescuers. My name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying hobby. This is the fourth in a fresh sequence of conversations I've been having with various friends within the roleplaying games community. This episode continues my quest to find the game I really want to play, and this time through reinvestigating the topic of solo roleplaying. My guest, Simon Williams, is a British artist and illustrator, as well as being the creator of the Legend of the Bones podcast, a hybrid solo old-school Dungeons & Dragons actual play and dark fantasy audio drama. His evocative illustrations are inspired by classic role-playing games like Fighting Fantasy and the classic works of fictions like uh, The Lord of the Rings. His podcast is an amazing work of art, inspired by the pioneering Tale of the Manticore podcast, whose creator itself, John, wrote and performed the theme music for this show. Simon's Legend of the Bones has become a must-listen for me, because his descriptions and characters are incredibly believable. And on top of all of this creativity, Simon is a husband and father, finding time for family and a very demanding job as well. I hopped online to find out how he manages to enjoy an intense solo role-playing experience, so that I could learn to move in this direction too. Big thanks up front to Simon for coming back to the show. It truly was an eye-opening and key conversation for me, and I hope that you'll find it useful too. This is Season 11, Episode 21, Solo with Simon Williams. Hello, Simon. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Jay. I'm very good. How are you? Um, all right. Getting over a cold and, and conjunctivitis and... and and being lame and i mean in the foot yes no i i heard about that on your on your <laughs> podcast not not great not great how about you all right i'm okay i'm okay you know as a, as a man with small children they are constant germ factories this time of year so uh mm. i love them but they are disgusting <laughs> yeah absolutely uh well two brits gonna waffle on about role-playing games for a bit so i think that'll be that's good yeah okay so uh 
backstory for everybody who's listening in who doesn't like listen to the GM's journal and therefore probably doesn't know the uh, incredible con that is my podcast where I pretend to know what I'm talking about um, and uh, pretend that I'm also like actually playing. Um, so recently, you know, I've been I've been dialing back my hobby as I got into my new job, my new career uh, step in terms of working in a new school. Like time has been obliterated, um, and I'm shattered all the time. So coming home from work, you know, shattered weekends, kind of trying to recover. Um, and I had to let my uh, I had to put on hold my regular biweekly Monday night game with Mister Mir. Um, I've kind of bowed out of running several things um, and I'm kind of backed down to like pretty much not doing much at all apart from we started the school club. So a little bit of background is that essentially I started running some D&D at the school club, but because there were 13 players on the first session, and by the way, on the next session next week, it looks like there'll be 17. It's like, how the heck do I run 17 completely new people through the hobby? So I've been playing a bit of BX. So that, and I know that you'd use BX as the basis for yeah, uh, you know, Legend of the Banes, which is your fantastic podcast. So I know you have something in common there. But the problem is that as a hobbyist, I've got to this point where I just feel like I haven't got a group. I'm not playing, but I need to roll the dice. Actually, I, I wrote a little bit on my blog um, about how I always carry 3D6 in my pocket, which is a bit sad, but there we go. Um, I was walking across the yard this morning, actually, and um, I was just got my, hand, my hands in my pocket. I was kind of walking along with my hands in pockets, like idly walking across the yard, really. And I felt the 3D6, and I suddenly thought, I haven't rolled these in ages. And I had this real sadness, you know, like, I haven't rolled these dice in flipping ages. It's been weeks. Um, and I thought, oh, i got to do something about that. So I'll, yeah. I'm on here, nailing you down, and talk a little bit about what on earth can a hobbyist do, you know, um, to get themselves playing and rolling them dice when they're, they're on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's, it's probably worth me saying, actually, that before I started doing solo play and the, and the podcast, that I think I was I was showing a little bit of signs of, of, of burnout um from a gm perspective i've been running as as i think i've mentioned to you before i've been running this you know nearly four year warhammer fantasy role play campaign uh with a large group of people and yeah it's been great and i, I totally enjoy it and but i was starting to feel that i you know sometimes it became a grind uh-huh. um you know and i felt that i i needed something where i was just going to please myself mm. And I think that is the real power of solo play mm-hmm. is that it's something just for you. Mm-hmm. And because it's just for you, you know, you make the rules, mm-hmm. you know, you decide what system you want to use. You decide how, decide how you want to customize that system or how you want to homebrew it. Nobody can argue with you about the rulings you make mm-hmm. or, or the decisions you take around what game you're going to play. And you can also do it in whatever pace you want to do it mm. you can you can do it every day or once a week or once a month you can do it once every six months it doesn't matter because you're not beholden to anyone else mm-hmm. and i think that's really you know the, a key point of why solo play is really important and it doesn't matter whether you you've got a regular group or you haven't got a group i would rec- i would recommend solo play for everyone because mm. i think it gives them that thing which is theirs mm. And it's interesting because you've you've talked before on your show about the you know, the different kinds of gamers and mm-hmm. the different motivations that gamers have, mm-hmm. um, and you, you know so th- some of those types probably you know, if, so, if people are coming just for the so- social sa- aspect mm-hmm. of it, then then solo play probably isn't for them. Mm-hmm. But I think for 
certainly for people who are into that kind of fantasy element and they really want that other world immersion. Mm. I think it's a perfect vehicle for that. And, and I've found that because for me, I, I, I'm absolutely one of those players. I, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply into other world immersion. Mm. Um, for me, it's, you know, the, the fantasy genre and RPGs give me an opportunity to you know, escape from a life that can sometimes be difficult, stressful, dull, um, mm. overstimulating, whatever, whatever it is. Mm. Um, and I've always had a very rich inner world. Mm. And for me, solo play allows me to explore that yeah. in, in a really tangible way. Mm. And so I almost live two lives i live my my real life and i live my life in in solo play and there's a really interesting thing in my mind i think i thought i was thought about thinking about this today before before we, you know we came on this call about the nature of memory mm-hmm. and how i was thinking yeah well i've got memories from you know last year 10 years mm. 30 years whatever how real are those memories now there's mm. yes they're things that physically happen to me but actually are those experiences any more real than the experiences and memories I have about my solo game? Because mm. they're both now things that are in the ether. They no longer exist, you know, in, in a real world scenario. Mm. So for me, my, the memories and, and experiences I'm formulating through my solo play are just as powerful for me as the memories I have about my real life. And that is where other world immersion really kind of comes into its fruition, I think. Mm. I mean, it's true psychologically, isn't it, that we we can't tell the difference between like what we're actually experiencing in this so-called reality around us, and uh, yeah, the philosopher in me is going or well, off on one, but also you know by what we invent, and that's why yeah. you know that's why in the negative side of that experience is where you know anxiety, depression, and all of the mental difficulties that we can face, they can be very real for people simply because Absolutely. we cannot cannot extricate ourselves from the things that we are conjuring in our minds but uh, the other side of the flip side the beautiful side of that is that when we get into our imaginary worlds and we're doing something truly creative then we are living that you know i think i always think about jr tolkien and like his his creation his sub-creation of of middle earth i I genuinely believe that he was he was there you know and in that and and as he was molding it um and, and and shaping it over time and over many 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 years you know um i believe he, he was in some way experiencing that and living that you know in the same way that you were talking about with with your own kind of solo game yeah i, I totally agree and if you think about you know jr tolkien uh, you know it was a magnus opus it was a, as mm. you say it was something that consumed his entire life yeah and so you know he didn't world build you know in a two-week period yeah this was something that you know that incrementally grew Mm. Uh, you know from his imagination over over decades mm. and, and that's that's mind-blowing isn't it really yeah it is. about it yeah and of course what we're what we're talking about is you know having a framework which is built around the game and this is the real true power of role-playing games in my view and i think the untapped power of it really yeah. uh, you know i've spent a lot of my life playing a little bit one-off gaming here and there with buddies and stuff like that um you know, playing shortish campaigns. Some of the longest games I've had have lasted four or five years, like you talked about, but there haven't been many of those. Um, and even so, you're talking, you know, even so maybe, you know, every other week or once a month or something in that period. So it's not that many sessions when you think about it. Um, and what I've always been hungry for is that 
to get to the depth. But of course, to get to the depth means to keep returning. Um, and that's the hard thing. Now, with my solo play, then, you know, like it's always towing the water. And it it's the, the question is, like, how does one keep moving yourself deeper? You know, keep going. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that that point about the it's a game and that construct mm-hmm. that you have of a game, that framework of game mm. is really important. Um, mm. And and for me, it's really important in terms of that, of building that other world emotion, because mm. just like in the real world, you don't know what, you know, when you wake up tomorrow, you never know what's going to happen. You know? Mm. Uh, you, you know, it's a whole manner of possibilities that could could happen to you in your real life the game construct in solo play gives you that that element of unknown mm. that element of anything's possible anything might happen and it keeps it exciting it means that your experience in solo play is emergent mm-hmm. um and not defined mm. and this is this is why um you know plot armor is is just you know the killer of of, of solo play and, and i think role playing games generally but but I think particularly in solo play, you know, when you give when you give characters or NPCs plot armor, you are stripping back that possibility for other world immersion because you're saying, mm. actually, it, it, it's preordained, yeah, and life isn't preordained, and so therefore, if you want to create deeper other world immersion, you have to have that 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 concept of the dice rule, that that element of chaos. Mm. And I think that's really important. Um, yeah, so so I think you know, what I'm doing with with my game is I, I took the, the standard advice, which is start small, mm-hmm. start with a single location, and and grow from there. And and the world is growing and developing as I play, and it's like being an explorer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, even though I, I I'm you know I'm the referee as a player and as a referee, actually, I, I, I'm an explorer in this world. Mm. And, and yes, I have to interpret the dice and make decisions about what that means and, and can create things from what those dice tell me, mm. but it's still, it's still, um, it's still exploration. Yeah. Um, and, and that's exciting. And that's what keeps me really interested about it because I, I, I like finding out about the new. Mm. I guess that like so in terms of like the engagements then I mean for you it's discovery and the fantasy stuff that's going on there and I suppose um you must have then some kind of process because what I think I'm personally lacking with this is a, a process mm. you know like a I can sit down with a set of game rules I can create a character I can put them into a place and I can start to you know run a scene or whatever um but it's kind of like, how do I get to the next thing and the next thing? Yeah, how do I yeah. generate that and bring that forward? Um, and I know there are lots of tools around. Okay, so there are a lot of options for this. But I am very, very genuinely curious about what has been the process for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how have you gone from you know, bring those characters on that shipwreck to you know taking them through to where they are uh, in yeah. your story now? Yeah, and I think... I've kind of learned. I'm, I'm learning this as I'm going. I, I, I can't profess to say you. Know, mm. I don't think I've got a, a fully defined process, but I can tell you what I did and, yeah. and how it's it's shaping into a kind of process. So, mm. the key thing for me is having an oracle. 
Yeah. And it doesn't matter which one you use. I mean, a lot of people use Mythic when they're playing solo. Mm-hmm. I just use a simple D6 Oracle. You know, it's that you know, no but, no, no yeah. and, yes but, yes, yes and. And I ask that Oracle lots of questions. Mm. I don't always explain those in the show. Mm. A lot of the time it's off mic. But the key for me was having, was that kind of initial setup that said, I have a set of antagonists here who are mm. doing something mm-hmm. and they did something and then they, they, they went mm. and it was a hook for my players to then say, we need to do something. We need to react. Yeah. And, and as that started to develop, I started to think about how do you make a sandbox into a cohesive campaign? Mm. Because for me, that's, that's the trick. You have to say, I want it to be a sandbox because I want that exploration. I want that random element. I want all that kind of stuff. I want that agency to say I can go wherever I want. But to keep it interesting over the long period, Mm. just to do a kind of, you know, a multitude of effectively one shots would be, I think I'd get bored. Mm -hmm. I want to feel, it's that thing, isn't it? About hooking it into something that makes it kind of, some kind of real objective. Mm -hmm. And you think about you know the, the big things that have happened in the real world, you know, a big conflict, a war, mm. um, you know, a pandemic, or, wh- or whatever it is, mm. and how people have to struggle through adversity to overcome those things. Mm-hmm. And and those stories, no matter how small or how big they are, mm. they're interesting and they're exciting and they're engaging. So I wanted something that was gonna be that was gonna be bigger than just here's a whole load of of disparate and and unconnected locations for Mm. me to explore i wanted there to be a thread which could could join them together but not necessarily Mm. and so i think it was only after um probably it's probably about episode five or six Mm -hmm. where i where they, they they reached the first town and i had this thing about this backstory about yeah, this group that had attacked the tower, who they were and what they were doing. And, and it, I had this idea that they were, they were, you know, they were witch hunters, basically. They were, they, mm-hmm. they were hunting down mages. And I thought, right, that sounds pretty extreme. That's like the, you know, the Spanish Inquisition or, you know, mm-hmm. or, or the Salem witch trials or something. You know, that's mm-hmm. pretty, that's a, that's a nasty thing for people to go through. The, these, these people aren't, aren't good people. Mm-hmm. They've got to be my major antagonists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the easy thing for me to have done would have been go. Well, I'm just going to send my play- my players after them straight mm. away, and off they go, off they trot. And I think it would have become quite a short-lived thing. Mm. So I thought to myself, well, okay, I don't think that's realistic. So surely the players would have to overcome lots of other things before they were able to and find out clues and and investigate and mm. and 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 the truth of what what's going on would slowly become uncovered. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of left it there in the ether. Yeah. This thing is going on in the background. Mm. And then my players, they find a patron, they, they get sent on a, on a mission. And, and over the next few episodes, without wanting to give spoilers, mm. things start to happen in the story, which were generated from the Oracle, from questions I posed to the Oracle, that start to pull things together into a narrative thread which start to link to this overarching mm. 
I don't want to say plot, but thing that's going on. Mm. This 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 kind of macro plot device is probably a wrong word. I, I don't know, but um, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and and I think at that point I started going, "This is interesting." Mm. Okay, and so now every time, every time I put my players in a situation or in a new location or something, mm. I I ask a question about whether this relates to the overall thing that's going on. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Mm. And that makes it interesting because what starts to happen is I start to build these kind of this spider web mm. of stuff that creates almost a kind of, yeah, there's a, there's a whole conspiracy going on and there's all these kind of <laughs> these actors at, 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 at play. Mm. And some of those will come in, will, will, will enter into the game mm. and some of them won't. Some of them are just names or, or places that get referenced, but then who knows? They might not go there. I don't know. Mm. But what I'm finding really interesting is that is, is having that concept of there's, there's something bigger going on mm-hmm. that can pull me in yeah. like a great novel, like a, <laughs> or, you know, or, or, or a real world event that you're going to go, wow, that's just mind blowing. And I think for me, that's, that's the trick of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's a process Mm. other than the, the process is probably I keep on asking whether or not this thing they're doing is related. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and if it isn't, that's fine. I still, I don't ignore that. I don't just abandon it. If it's not related, it just, it just means it's, it's a side quest if you like. Mm. Um, and it all adds to the, yeah, the very similitude of the world that other things happen. Mm. It's, not, it's not all about this kind of, and I think, yes, that's the difference. Yeah. When you, if, if I was writing a novel, I'd put, I'd have this kind of one one big arc, and then you know it would be you know this kind of epic quest where the players go on it and you know, mm. the characters go on it, and yeah, you know, they have to defeat the big bad and or you know get the MacGuffin or whatever it is. Mm. But that's but I'm not writing a novel; I'm playing a game. No, absolutely. I think what's interesting as well hearing you talk about that is is to realise that um, you know when you're um, in a well, I find when I'm in a kind of campaign that's being run in that style of like i've got this plot and i am driving my players along a series of activities and game, you know it's like various challenges in the game that are coming along uh, they're fighting these monsters they're exploring this place but everything you become aware don't you that everything is connected to that central driving plot that the gm or whatever is trying to go at and it is incredibly artificial yeah. Um, you know, you have a sense of that and it can be very exciting. Don't get me wrong. It's like, but we always use the analogy of being on the roller coaster and it's very exciting to be on a roller coaster, but you know that you're on rails and it's like, yeah, this is yep. going and we're just going to go to the end. Um, and for me, you know, it's always the things that are not part of that, that I get interested in. So I'm looking at, I'm, I'd be, if it was a roller coaster, I'd be looking over my shoulder rather than in front. I'd be looking over my shoulder going, Ooh, that's pretty over there. Can we go over there? Yeah. 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 Um, and I think like what's beautiful about the idea of running a solo game is that you can do exactly that. You can kind of see something rolling along and you could decide that actually I'm just curious what's over here. Um, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Um, I, yeah. And, and a couple of episodes that I've, that I've written, but yeah. haven't yet been released. Um, that is, exactly that happens. The, mm. A location comes up. It's got nothing to do with the main campaign. I'm like, Oh, that sounds interesting. Send yeah. them off for that. Um, and I did that. And I think that's the beauty of having, of making it a sandbox. Mm. Um, and I guess my point is just for me, I, I want there to be something going on, mm. which I can decide to tap into or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and my players may not, may never get to resolve that, you know, that overarching thing that's going on, mm. but it's there. Yeah. And it shows that the world is bigger than them. Mm. 
Um, and I think that's kind of important. I'm curious, you keep using this term, my players decide, right? My players. Yeah, it's I'm, interesting, I'm the player. Right, this is the thing, right? The player and the GM. So let's talk about the GM hat and the, and the player hat here. Because yeah, obviously yeah. you have in your mind somehow compartmentalized the players and why yeah, would yeah. you mean the PCs? I do, yes. And then the decisions that you make as a player um, or the players, I guess, because there are multiple characters. And I guess that like, if it was a group, they'd all be individually run, right? Yes. Uh, you are playing them. And yet yeah. you've also got you as the sort of the referee or the GM or, ha- or however you conceptualize. So just talk me through that. How do you conceptualize that? Yeah. Um, I, I probably use that term players because I'm so used to being a forever GM. So I, I, I'm never normally a player, so I'm always yeah. referring to the other as players. But, yeah. but you're absolutely right. I, I meant characters when I when I said mm. players in that sense. But because I am the player, um, I, I guess the key thing really is to really not metagame it. Mm-hmm. That is the absolute golden rule. <laughs> Just like no plot armor, don't metagame it. Right. As soon as you start doing that you kind of for me you, you destroy the other world emotion yeah you it, it stops being you're not really being a player mm. you're being the gm who's controlling some characters so that's mm-hmm. different yeah so so the key thing i i said i always put in my mind what would the characters know what would the characters know given who they are what their abilities are their background their personality Mm. and for me actually that's been a really key part that i've learned through this process is about personality of my of my characters and mm. it's funny because i don't know whether you've ever done this but when i was when i first got into role-playing games when i was you know, a teenager the characters i would build would be the person i would want to be mm. in real life um so your listeners can't can't see me mm. but yeah I'm, I'm i'm quite a sort of i'm a slight guy i'm very slim mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I've always been attracted to playing fighters and mm-hmm. or rangers or or the kind of people who are kind of quite physical. Yeah, because I've I've always wanted to be more physical mm-hmm. than I actually am. So it's almost kind of creating the person I wish I could be. Yeah, and um, and when I created, yeah, you know, rolled up the four characters, and I decided, yeah, you know, I, I wanted four, well, yeah, one of each of the human classes, uh, and I, I, I assigned them, and. I said, oh, I've got this, this fighter here, Beric. I, I, I think he's the person I would want to be. I thought, mm-hmm. I, 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 thought I was doing that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of made him the kind of de facto leader of the party. Yeah. I think because often fighters are, because they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're action-orientated characters, aren't they? Yeah. Or people, I should say. Um, but actually, when I started getting in and building the personalities of these characters, and the personalities have emerged through... <laughs> Through play and through mm. as a you know so so what's turned out is that actually Valen is actually more like me than any of the characters in real life. Right. Um in terms of his personality, in terms of his weaknesses mm. uh, and strengths. And and I've actually I, I've never been interested in playing magic users or majors at all in, mm. in, in any of my role playing career. And yet the character that I feel most attuned with Mm. is the mage in my in my in my solo play and that yeah. was a real surprise to me and i've really enjoyed exploring their personalities 
Mm. And not just their individual personalities, but then how they interplay between each other. Mm. And and interestingly, a couple of people have said to me, are, have you, are, are you setting up a romance between Valen and Lena? Mm-hmm. And not intentionally, I haven't. Yeah. I can I absolutely see why people have thought that. Mm-hmm. And it's more that the characters the way that the characters just developed naturally, and it was kind of, it was very organic and I, I didn't, didn't put too much thought into it, but as the interact, and it was that turning point where, where Valen got poisoned mm-hmm. and, and, and Lena looked after him. Mm-hmm. Something happened there in that scene that created an emotional connection between them mm-hmm. that I was not expecting whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Because actually, when when they first met, Lena was a little bit disdainful of him because you know he he was a mage and mages are seen as heretics in her religion and all these kinds. Mm-hmm. Of, and 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 I thought, wow, that's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. That that interplay between two characters who are so fundamentally different, who come whose worldviews are so different, and whose backgrounds are so different, yet somehow I've inadvertently created a connection between them. Mm-hmm. That was so exciting for me, and. I'm just letting it run. I'm just letting it run. Mm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not forcing a romance. I'm not. I'm not. Not going there. I'm just. I'm just letting it play out, mm. as and when, as I'm writing, you know, parts of narrative. If it feels right to either express something which affirms that or not, I I, I go with it, mm. and, and just let it come out naturally, and bringing those characters to life in that way and it's not just about what they can do Mm. and what things they overcome but it being about who they are Mm. that makes it again it increases the other world immersion it increases the verisimilitude and it helps me distinguish between here i am as the referee and here i am as a player with these characters who also have interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know whether I've answered your question. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I've gone off on a complete tangent, but I, but I was so, I've been so excited by that mm. that it's been a real hook for me in terms of why I've, I've loved doing this. Yeah, so I think the question was around like how do you, um, how do you do, how do you distinguish those things? You know, it's like how you wear those two hats, really. So yeah. it's great. I mean. But, I mean, it's wonderful hearing you talking about them. And, of course, somehow or other you must be switching, not just putting referee and player hat, but actually multiple player hats, which is probably why the earlier referring to them as the players, because, and this is really, I don't know, I overanalyze it, right, but I genuinely think that there's something going on here. There's five there's five people involved in this game and they're all in your head. Yeah, well, you're very probably right, because when I'm, when I'm wearing the hat of Lena, Mm. I'm thinking like Lena. Mm. When I'm wearing the hat of Beric, I'm thinking like Beric and, and mm. Kier and Valen respectively. And yeah, so, so I guess I, I do see them as, they're not just my group. They're not just a group that I control. Mm. They, if they're that, it's, I might as well just have one and a whole load of retainers. Yeah. But I wanted to have characters that came to life. Yeah. So therefore, yeah, I think I, I think you're probably right. I think I probably am putting on a very different player aspect where I'm mm. any of the given characters. 
I hadn't really thought about it like that. So that's, that's a bit of a revelation for me. But I think the key thing about yeah that thing about how do I wear two hats of, of being the referee and being the player is um, making sure I adjudicate fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, not giving plot armor, as I mentioned, that's really important. Mm. Um, and using the oracle to keep me interested as a referee. But when I'm a player, I do think about those things. You know, like you, I come from a, a wargaming background, and mm. so you know, sometimes I, I go into tactical mode when I'm, you know, if it's a combat, mm-hmm. right? Okay, how am I going to overcome this? You know, what 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 do I have in my arsenal that's going to help me overcome this particular enemy or enemies? Mm. Um, and I think about it very tactically. I don't, I, ne- I don't, I never get minis out. I always do it theatre of the mind. Um, I, I do, I do use maps, um, but but normally at a kind of a, a quite a large scale. But uh, but I do think very tactically when I'm in player mode. Mm. But that is usually in combat, yeah. because I think that's that's when it becomes most apparent. Mm-hmm. that i have to be in player mode yeah other times then I, I tend i tend to think about right player hat on if i if i wasn't the, the referee and I, this is what i know what will i do mm. but interestingly I, I don't have vast amount of experience of being a player mm. except in my solo game so um yeah, I've probably only been a player probably half a dozen times in my entire you know, 30 plus years of playing role-playing games. Uh, it's, really, it's really interesting. And I think it was, it's the es- what you're talking about here is the essence of what a role-playing game is about, you see. So I'm listening to you talk about like, how you're getting in role and how you're allowing those roles to interplay. And to me, that is the very essence of role-playing. You know, it isn't the... A lot of people talk about role playing and they kind of mean acting and they kind of mean, you know what I mean, in, in that sort of um, more dramatic sense. But I, I think what it is, is like we are making decisions as if we are that character or that person, as you said earlier, actually putting yeah. yourself into that person. And I think the issue here is about believing in the person. And I think one of the issues that I've had for a very long while is when I create characters and, and listening to you talk, I start to realize that I think sometimes they are a little bit like they're pawns in, on my on my table. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I can, yeah. what am I going to do with them? So the real trick here appears to be like really allowing yourself to sort of immerse yourself into that character. It's a thing that um, Daniel Jones, when he coined the term about other world immersion, he was also very strongly advocating the idea that we, as as referees, that we present the world that the players are experiencing, the player characters, sorry, are experiences from their perspective. We describe things from their perspective. He gave the classic example of when, players in his game were charmed by a witch um that they he his descriptions of that witch were entirely of the beautiful woman that she wanted them to see uh and the illusion they wanted she wanted them to see and how wonderful she seemed and how friendly and lovely and yeah. and everything was like he he role played um that car- that npc as this completely friendly and lovely friend that was going to be there until the point at which that switched um and and that was horrifying for the players because they they were sort of totally sucked in um yeah. but yeah. That, but what was going behind on behind the screen was he had determined that the charm was effective against them and they couldn't you know they couldn't yeah. tell the difference so to bring this back to what we're talking about is that uh, putting yourself in the perspective of the character that they can that everything that you're 
um, you're thinking about is through their eyes and in, like you said, what they know. That is sounding to me like it's absolutely key. Totally agree. And I think also in order to kind of facilitate that, recording the the role play aspects of your solo game Mm -hmm. is really important so i'm obviously i'm doing that because i've got a podcast Mm. and i want to create it i want to make it interesting for people so i you know and i do the voices and that that Mm. kind of stuff because i want to i want to create that kind of really immersive experience but even if i wasn't doing that i think the only way i could really get into the personality of my characters Mm. would be to at least write the role play yeah. I may well just speak aloud to myself in the different mm. in the in the different mm. aspects, but that makes them more like people. Mm. Um, and it's that difference between role play and role play, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. not just about rolling dice. I, I totally, I'm with you. For me, it, it's the be playing a role, mm. which is the the magic of role playing games. Yeah. Um, and and rolling the dice facilitates. Mm. the emergent story that happens as a result of that um so i think you recording the the role play and the interaction between your characters helps Mm. you to develop them as as people that Mm. you want to and i i genuinely care about my characters Mm. you know and you know um at at the time of published episodes none of the characters have yet died I, I I I'll take it very badly when one of them do. I, I'm not going to save them if it happens, yeah. because no plot armor. But caring about your characters mm. sucks you in, just like you know when you when you watch a great movie or you read a great book and you really care about the characters. Mm. Yeah, you, know, you you want them to win. You're willing them to win. And and you know my 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 play style as a GM in in regular role playing games has always been. I'm not an adversarial uh, you know, referee. I, I, mm. I, I, that doesn't work for me. I want, I want my players to win. Yeah. I want them to to achieve the end objective. I'm not going to make it easy for them, mm. but I want them to win. Yeah, yeah. I, and I will, you know, adjudicate the rules fairly. But I, but I'm not going to make it impossible for them to succeed because mm. that's that's no fun, is it? And um, and I think that. You know, when I play with my regular group, yeah, you know, I'm I'm really invested in in their characters and, and you know and their mm. survivability. And I think that's that's important. So when you care about your characters, mm. and actually, you know, when they die, you know, that pay the emotional payback is even richer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you, know, you, you mourn. Yeah, I mean, and mm. and we, I'm just thinking, you know, thinking about about John's show, your tale of the Manticore. You know, and you know, spoiler here for anyone who hasn't listened to season one. But you know, he has several characters hmm. that, that don't make it. Yeah. Um, and there's one at the end, which there was one not quite not the right at the end, but a few a couple of episodes before mm-hmm. the end that doesn't make it. And oh my god, that the you know, the emotional payback I got from listening to that episode was just mm. that was just the sweet spot. I mean it was it was awful, <laughs> but it was it was wonderful and it was beautiful mm. and it was it was art. I'm going to add, I mean, I felt at the end of the series as well, like I, I felt lost. And when he started season two, at first I felt betrayed. I felt like he's starting this completely different, it's in the same world, but he's picked a part of, you know, his world and then gone off into some new characters. 
And at first, I was listening to the first few episodes, and I just was finding it hard to get in because I was thinking, like, but I want them. You know, the ones we yeah. just spent, I don't know, has it been a year or more? They following. Um, yeah. You know, there's this sense of that the, the it's almost like when the author goes off and writes a completely different series. It's like, yeah. well, can you not go back and do some more of that, please? You know, but of course, the author's moved on, right? And in this case, you know, um, John's doing, you know, going further with his game. But I'm already, I know how many episodes it's in now. Is it about 12 or 11 or 12 or something um, as it's released? But, you know, I'm already invested in these new characters and it's getting great. It's great. But of course, but what was interesting was noticing the, that switch that actually, now I had to let go of the old characters and the story and where that had gone. And that had come to a great place. Don't get me wrong. Um, But at first it was a little bit of like, Mm mm-hmm. Do I want the new ones? You know, um, because we are so invested in them. And yeah. how, I mean, how I wonder how much much stronger that must be for him. John, if you're listening, you have to call in and tell us how hard was that. <laughs> Indeed. You know? And you're absolutely right. And it's that thing, isn't it? And it's just like when you meet someone new in your real life. Mm. At first, you meet someone new. You don't care about them because mm. you don't know them. Mm. But as you get to know them and as you forge that relationship with them, you begin to care. You become you become more invested in them and and their mm. life and their happiness and their well being and all those kind of things that that friends do, mm. and and I think it's the same it's the same when you get really invested in a character and you and you, you don't get that straight away because first mm. of all you don't know whether these people are are, are good bad evil mm. you know indifferent boring you don't know you know uh, and but as as they're personalities and their characteristics and the things about them start to emerge you start to go and, and we all end up having our favorites don't we mm. you know i know i have my favorites from from season one and i have my favorites mm. now in season two and and because that's 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 what building a connection with someone's about mm. even though the the person you're building the connection with is is a fictional character mm. when it's when it's well written Mm. When it's well conceived, yeah, that connection is just as strong yeah. as it is with someone you might meet in your real life. And we're back to that thing. We can't tell the difference. And that's, exactly. I mean, in some ways yeah. that's quite scary to think about, but actually it's also a wonderful thing. Um, yeah. We really yeah. can get, and, it, and of course you can go and explore, I mean, as you alluded to earlier, like different aspects of yourself and, and also like the different interests that you have um, and sort of, you know, to see where that goes by personifying them. Yeah. Um, which is essentially what we're doing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to go on a slight tangent because I do think this will swing back into solo on the subject of system. Okay. Game yeah. system and engine. Um, I've always been annoyed by role players. Um, role players spend an enormous amount of time talking about game systems and obviously talking about and, and often setting up games by saying, right, we're going to play this system. Um, and, for me, obviously, as the one who wants to go explore a world and wants to, ha- or if I'm going to play and I'm going to have a character, I want to explore the character too within that world. Um, it always seemed like a completely wrong place to start for me, you know, to sort of go, right, we're going to play some Dungeons and Dragons, you know, make a character. And I'm like, well, give me a context, you know, okay, that yeah. game system's fine, but, um, you know, what, what are we playing and where are we playing is actually to me way more important and more interesting but of course most gamers don't do that there might be the vaguest thing oh we're going to play in whatever world and make up a character and then off we go and we rush into it so um 
with the solo play, and I know that you shed, um, you know, you have this love of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and you shed that, and you went to BX because it was going to be simpler. I think is what you said in your last episode, and what have you. But to what degree do you think it really matters when we're if we're seeking that the the other world immersion and we're looking at character immersion? How much does system matter in your mind? It doesn't matter at all. Is the short answer, mm-hmm. and, and I'll explain why I say that. <clears throat> I I used to believe that system mattered a lot. Mm. um and and it probably wasn't until i started doing solo play that i realized system doesn't matter at all mm-hmm. um i think you know yes i've, I've I had this long-standing love of warhammer fantasy role play but i think i was more in love with the setting than i was the system mm-hmm. um because i thought i found the, the the whole world that, that that had been created really really fascinating mm. Oh, the old world is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, obviously the law has been built up over, mm. you know, four decades and and, yeah. and it's, you know, it's very rich in that in that sense. Mm. And I think I mentioned to you before, the reason I didn't I didn't go with that was because I didn't want to get into all kinds of stuff with potentially Games Workshop and yeah, yeah. 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 I, I just didn't want that. And I, so in a way, I kind of, I knew I had to use a different system. Mm because I, I didn't want to use something that was so proprietary and had so much, you know, yeah. um, constraints around its IP. Um, mm. And and there was two things which led me to BX. One was obviously I'd, I'd seen John use it and thought mm. it, it kind of works in a podcast format. Yeah. I want something quite lightweight because mm. it'll be easy. It was easier for me to learn and pick up mm-hmm. because I hadn't really played it before. Mm. Uh, so I, did, I didn't want anything too crunchy because... I, I I didn't have the time to invest in yeah. learning a really deep, crunchy system. Mm. So it, it was partly a kind of necessity thing that led me down that route. But what I actually um, appreciate about having a lighter weight system, and it's not about that particular system, but just something mm. that's more lightweight, is it gives me the freedom as a referee to do things on the fly, which I know mm. is, is is very much in that kind of old school Mm. you know uh tradition of you know the referee just kind of you know makes rulings mm. and those rulings might become rules mm-hmm. um and that's been really useful for me because it hasn't constrained me you know it's actually helped to facilitate the world building actually mm. because because i haven't got all this kind of tight stuff that i have to kind of yeah. figure out oh, how mm. does this work i can just make a ruling and then i house rule it and then that's it mm. um I think the key thing is the reason why system doesn't matter is just pick something you like, Mm. pick something you're familiar with that works for you. And it doesn't matter whether it's lightweight, crunchy, it doesn't matter. I think the key thing is knowing the system, Mm. you know, the system, then it doesn't become um, an obstacle to overcome. Yeah. It's just something that greases the wheels Mm. of of, of your game uh, and of your world building. And for me that's the important thing so mm. so system doesn't matter I, I think you know people get really hung up about you know this system's better than that system mm-hmm. you know yeah you know, old school versus new school and I, just chill out please mm. you know who cares what anyone else is playing i only care about what i'm playing because mm. that's all that matters to me you know as long as other people are having fun who cares uh, yeah have fun even if they're not having fun you know that's their business but my business is the fun i'm having and mm. and the game i'm playing and uh, one thing I like to do, uh, you know, I will often, I will often magpie 
bits from other systems. Mm. Yeah. So in in my episode six, I think it was, I, I needed to do a kind of urban pursuit scene, and I was like, "Well, the BX doesn't really handle this. Yeah, it's got pursuit rules for dungeons and mm. wilderness, but they were a bit abstract mm. and wouldn't have created the kind of dynamic tension I wanted." So I looked through another few other systems, and actually, I ended up going with uh, what was in. I didn't take it verbatim, but I took something, I lifted something from Warhammer, and, and just mm. and, and amended it to to work with my game. Mm. But the, but I took a, a kind of the seed of it and and, and yeah. changed it. But I think that's okay. That's fine to say well, that system over there does something really good, really well. Mm. Actually, okay, I'm not playing that system. But I'm gonna I'm gonna come. Let's have it over here, please, and. Yeah. I'll wire it in. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. And and as long as it kind of gets me the end result, which is it's a fair, it's a fair ruling, it's a fair adjudication. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't it doesn't break the other world immersion. Well, I'll do it. So um in that sense, system doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I do think we get overly hung up about it. And um I know that goes contrary to a lot of a lot of people out there will be going, no, it totally matters, you know. Um, but I, the, I'm coming to the conclusion uh, the more I I let go of that and I just sort of focus on like world building and creating interesting characters that, um, yeah, that the game system just drifts away a bit, you know, and it's yeah. there. It's there for when you need to check something. Um, I firmly have come to believe that it's about the adjudication, the tools for adjudication. Um, and you know, it's about making sure you've got a baseline. Um, yeah, t- t- totally agree. And uh, yeah, and yeah, look, for, for those people who are diehard, you know, system matters. Yeah, knock you know, knock yourselves mm. out. That's that's no, fine. Yeah, you know, if it works for you, <laughs> it works for your group. You know, who am I to judge? You know, mm. that's fine. Uh, I, I just think sometimes you see uh, arguments online, and he's, I just kind of think, well, really, come <laughs> on, is it that? Yeah, life's too short. Um, so yeah, uh, I think, I think with yeah, with, with it's that thing, isn't it? Play the game you want to play, mm. ultimately. And I think coming back to that point about your know, different types of players, mm-hmm. when you've got someone who's really into challenge, mm-hmm. they, re- they really want to kind of, um, yeah, they're, or they're very tactical players. Mm-hmm. Well, then they might want to have, you know, a particular rule set that they know because then they can game it. You yeah. know, that's what that's yeah. their interest for them is gaming the system. Yeah, you know, using every single little ability they've got to kind of get that that advantage, and you know, uh, and. And that's that's fine. That's, that's if that's what if that's what you know floats their boat, then, then yeah, good luck to them. It doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Okay. So last thing I wanted to ask about, I suppose, um, is just how much randomness is in your game. I mean, um, random tables. I'm thinking about like use the oracle. You talked a little bit about that, asking questions or what have you. But what about other sort of randomness? What's what's going on there? Um, I think in some pre discussion notes you put like why tables are your friends or something like that so tell me a little bit about that yeah well i think you know uh i think for the solo player tables are are absolutely your friend and and probably less so as as a as a you know a referee on a a regular game because you can Mm. you can fill you you stock your dungeon or you can do whatever Mm. you want you just you can decide what's there but Mm. if you want to keep it interesting and Mm -hmm. if you don't want to metagame it then you have to randomize things Um, it would be all too, all too easy for me to um, balance the game mm-hmm. by saying I'm only going to have you know my characters at this level, so I'm only going to have monsters of this kind of you know, difficulty, mm-hmm. and therefore you know if everyone's happy, we can all go and you know 
and you know hug um <laughs> but actually that's not that that's not real world that's not um that that for me breaks other world immersion because you know there's no reason why you know your first level characters might not come against something which is terrifyingly powerful and they have to run away or do something different mm. or you know or hide and so what i've done i've got i've, I've got random tables and i you know, i filled those with a variety of different um encounters mm. based on terrain mainly mm-hmm. so what kind of things might be exist in a forest or what, what kind of things might exist on a moorland mm. put a whole load of stuff in there and you know if the dice show that there's a wandering encounter yeah i'll I, I roll the table and and, mm. and you know whatever the dice shows what it is and sometimes it's it's it seems quite banal and other times you think oh blimey you know i mean when they came up against the uh the terror of tamor i thought mm. oh i might lose a character here but um and, and equally you know one time they they, they came across some deer yeah you, mm. you know it's that's fine uh, and and i think again that adds to you know that the, the very similitude of, of, of the world that you're creating so absolutely have to, the only thing i do do is is if they've encountered something on the table mm. I tend to replace it on the table yeah uh, and and that's mainly just to make it more interesting mm. so uh, yeah I, I don't want them to keep on you know encountering hags yeah. <laughs> unless i decide i'm going to have a major antagonist that's going to be a hag in which case then mm. that's there by design there will be some things which are there by design mm. absolutely um because it makes sense in that particular environment mm-hmm. for there to be something there um and then I'm I'm doing my kind of regular referee kind of thing of saying, you know, here's this particular dungeon, here's this thing that's going to be in this dungeon. Other things in the dungeon will be random. Yeah. But there's definitely going to be this thing here and that thing there. Yeah. But everything else is random. And I think that that just keeps it keeps it fresh mm. as, as a referee and as a player. And speaking of dungeons, how do you handle the dungeon exploration? What are you doing there? Yeah, so um, what I, what I've got, and those of you who are up to date with my show will know that characters are in their first proper dungeon right mm-hmm. now. And what I did is I I built a map. Um, I knew what the the you know the, the kind of final part of the dungeon might contain, mm-hmm. and I introduced an NPC who has joined the party for now, temporarily. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see whether a lot later on he becomes more of a permanent member. And he has actually been a guide. Because mm. it, it, the, the story as emerged made it, it felt right that there was a guide. Mm. So there hasn't been kind of like, you know, at this junction, do you go left, do you go right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that hasn't come into play in this particular dungeon yet. Um because it hasn't felt needed. Mm. But if it did, then it would be a simple, right, the characters have got a choice. They can go Mm. this way or they can go that way. I'm literally going to roll a dice. Mm -hmm. Odds is that way, evens is that way. And I would would just, you could say, well, then you're not being a player. You're not deciding as a player. But I I can't do that as a solo player because I, I would be metagaming it. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't intentionally send them down the wrong direction just so that you know I didn't. Uh, I didn't take the right path. I would. The only way of doing that is saying the characters have no way of knowing. 
Mm. In this, yeah, unless there is obviously a clue that sends them one down one direction. Yeah. They've got no way of knowing. All they can do is effectively flip a coin. Mm. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think that's that's the way to handle it. And again, you what I've done is they don't always it doesn't always come up on the narrative. But I do have um, I do you know checks for wandering encounters every every two game turns or, or whatever cadence I decide. Hmm. Um, and I roll, and and some of those things will be potentially will be uh, you know a monster encounter. Other things will be a non-monster encounter, but could be just as deadly um so yeah i mean a couple of things on the table i've got you know yeah, gas pockets cave-ins you know a flock of bats you know mm. it could be all kinds of things that, 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 that they might encounter which may be more or less dangerous mm. um so so it's very procedural in that sense yeah and i think that's the only way i could deal with it without i say metagaming it Hmm. Okay, but but the key the, but the key thing is using the tables to generate the encounters. Yeah. Unless you have something which is a specific kind of, yeah, it's a bit like you. Know, they go to the they go to the necromancer's tower. If there's no necromancer there, it kind of is hmm. a bit pointless. Unless there's yeah. a reason why it's not there. But yeah, you. Hmm. The sad thing is, I'll put the necromancer there, and you know he's probably going to have a whole load of goons which are probably undead. Hmm. Well, you know. If I'm going to make a random table for it, I'll fill that table full of undead. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I get that. Yeah. That's fine. All right, then. Well, so conscious of time as ever, but I, I kind of thought, thought I'll bring it back to the beginning, which is so you're sitting there advising me or and or our listener here about where to start. You know, if you're going to sit down to start solo play, um, what sort of initial steps would you advise doing? So... Um... Choose your system because mm-hmm. you need to choose a system. Mm-hmm. Build some characters. Mm-hmm. Sta- this is standard stuff. Imagine, imagine a starting situation. Mm-hmm. Let it flow, and let your imagination take you on a journey, and don't constrain that imagination. And then use tables and oracles to help you determine what might happen mm-hmm. and let the world build around you. It, it was easy for me because I had players who were starting in a place where they were unfamiliar. Mm. So they had to explore that, that world. And therefore I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have a whole city mapped out mm. or, you know, a whole region mapped out. I didn't need that mm. because of the starting situation I put them in. Um, and maybe it would have been different if I had, you know, start off in a, at a city-based adventure or something, but, mm. um, but the key thing really is to, is to, is to let the world build out around you. Let your, let you and your characters explore the world, but do it in a procedural way. Mm. And, and as you need bits of law, build that law, mm. write it. And what I find I do is I spend a certain amount of time playing mm. and obviously then, recording that through in my case a podcast through writing it and then recording it but actually i spend a lot of time in my game world just in my head mm-hmm. when i'm not actually playing mm. imagining places imagining places they've already been and thinking about what might be around the next corner or might be what might be over the hill and 
and then thinking about and 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 would you know they've crossed a river is, is there a deity that 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 you know controls this river or, or is the or, or is the, the yeah the patron of this river or, or whatever it is hmm. and i spend a lot of time in my kind of rich inner world which is now becoming filled with my solo world building hmm. exercise and i'm i live in it hmm. i live in it in my head a lot and it's really rewarding it's really rich hmm. to just imagine yourself in another place and let that let that flow and i find it a really creative process it, it stimulates my creativity being there hmm. and, I, and i think of it almost like a real world place i'm going to go there today <laughs> yeah. yeah and um and so my, i guess my my encouragement is to is is to build that inner world mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be the, that you just spend time there when you're playing spend time there because it's a it's a place you want to be in mm. or at least a place you find interesting because <laughs> it might be a place you don't want to be in because it's so dangerous or whatever but, <laughs> but um that would be my tip mm. my key tip is is be introspective. Enjoy the introspection. Let it, let it, let it flow. Let it flow through you, and just, and, and let it take you where it may. That sounds a bit hippie-ish, but you know, <laughs> gotta love a bit of hippie. I've got the hair. For, I've got the hair for it. <laughs> Simon Williams, thanks very much for your time. It's been absolutely ace to talk to you about this. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on the show and um you know and good luck with it and you know and um and I look forward to every episode as it comes out and and I said it last time but to all your listeners if you're not a patron please be a patron of Che because his show absolutely deserves more patrons because he's really giving a lot to the community so you know that's my tip for everyone is be a patron of Roleplay Rescue. Better not edit that bit out really. Thanks Simon. <laughs> Thanks a lot. A huge thank you once again to Simon from the Legend of the Bones podcast for coming and sharing his experiences with us and really inspiring me. I'll stick the link to his podcast in the show notes. Please do go check it out. It's an amazing show. But if you have any questions or comments, well, we'd love to hear from you. I certainly would. Please call in via speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue and leave a message. Thanks once again to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thank you also to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. Most of all, thank you to you for showing up and lending me your ears. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on. <laughs>